Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, June 30th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. I had a buddy back a million years ago when I was in college. He used to use the phrase, I spotted it all the time. It was kind of his way of saying he agreed with whatever you said. So, you know, you might say, man, it sure is hot today. You go, yeah, I spotted it. He was from Mississippi, too. And uh, a combination of that phrase and the way he said it, I always found mildly amusing. So anyway, this is really just a bad segue into one of the topics that I want to discuss in the show today, and that is the spot price of gold. Get it? I spotted it. Spot price. I know. Bad joke. We talk about the spot price all the time, though, right? It's how we gauge the value of gold. It is kind of the the foundation of gold trading. But what exactly is the spot price and how is it determined? I've had a number of people actually ask me that question in the last couple of weeks. So today I'm going to explain. Now, first, I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm feeling rough this morning. My wife and I went to the Cure concert last night uh, in Tampa fantastic show 64 years old robert smith is they played almost three hours incredible set here's my favorite band but we didn't get in until probably one in the morning and here i am trying to record a podcast um, a few hours later so that's my disclaimer i don't expect any lessening of the quality of this show i'm just letting you know you know my voice might sound a little raspy or whatever Anyway, you guys didn't want a music review. You came here for the Friday Gold Wrap, so let us move forward. Um, Before we get into the spot price of gold, I want to touch on some economic data that has come out really over the last couple of weeks. Uh, A lot of this is May data, and it is supposedly telling us that the economy is strong. And indeed, I will concede it looks strong on the surface. Now, Gold has been flirting with the $1,900 an ounce support level for a couple of weeks. Uh, We saw a big sell-off last week. We crashed through $1,950. Why? Well, this first paragraph from a Reuters article really sums up the outlook, the way people are feeling about the economy right now. This is what's driving the markets. Quote, U.S. central bankers are likely to resume their rate hike campaign after a break earlier this month. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell signaled on Thursday as a new slew of stronger than expected U.S. economic data underscored why more monetary tightening is likely needed. So really, this is just a continuation of Jerome Powell's hawkishness, Federal Reserve hawkishness that we've been seeing for the last several weeks, really since the uh, the, the so-called pause uh, that the Federal Reserve refuses to call a pause, um, but it was a pause. And it's just more and more of this hawkish rhetoric. We're going to keep raising interest rates. The economy is strong. Inflation is still hot. This is what the central bank is saying. Now, of course, what they did in the last meeting is completely different, and that should be noted. There's a divergence between uh, the open mouth operations that the Fed is doing and uh, their actual policy, and I think that's on purpose. I think they know that they really can't raise rates 
anymore without seriously jeopardizing the economy. So they're trying to kind of talk things down. Um, but that's what's going on. That's, that's kind of where we are in terms of um, how the markets are seeing things right now. We've got this strong economy. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that this strength that everybody's talking about is kind of an illusion. Now, I have to give credit where credit is due. My friend Thomas Anderson runs a Facebook page called Passant Gaudant. I may have said that wrong, but um, I'll link to it over in the show notes page. I pulled a lot of what I'm about to say from a post that he made in that group, but I think the points that he brought out are worth reiterating. And the group is worth following. Again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes page. So let's start with consumer confidence, because I think that was uh, one of the big surprises of this week. Um, people are suddenly bullish on the economy. The Conference Board Consumer Confidence Index came in at 109.7 versus an expectation of 104. Uh, Last month, consumer confidence was 102.3, so a pretty hefty increase in consumer confidence. Now, it should be noted that 109.7 is still pretty bearish on the economy overall. But because we saw this big jump, because there's an improvement in sentiment, because it was unexpected, then that's considered a big deal and it kind of signals that the economy is getting better in the eyes of the market. Quote, consumer confidence improved in June to its highest level since July 20 or since January 2022, reflecting improved current conditions and a pop in expectations. Uh, this according to Conference Board Chief Economist Dana Peterson. Quote, greater confidence was most evident among consumers under age 35 and consumers earning incomes of over 35000 Nonetheless, the expectations gauge continue to signal consumers anticipating a recession at some point over the next 6 to 12 months. So, even looking at what the consumer or, or what the conference board economist is saying, it's not really as rosy a report as you might think from the way it was presented in the media. Now, that raises the question, what exactly is driving consumer confidence higher? What's motivating this pop, as they call it? Well, according to the headlines, lower inflation expectations. And why are people getting more optimistic that prices have peaked and are maybe even coming down? Well, a big drop in energy prices. Remember the CPI analysis from a few weeks ago. Gasoline prices, in particular, are down over 20% from this time last year. So yeah, that's going to make people feel better about their economic prospects. When you're not pulling up to the pump and paying four bucks a gallon, you have more money in your pocket, you do feel better. But again, another question that nobody's asking. Why exactly are gasoline prices coming down? Why are oil prices coming down? Well, the fact of the matter is, the big drop in energy prices is due to the fact that there's an expectation of a recession, a global economic slowdown. That's putting a drag on oil prices. So the thing that is making people feel better about the economy is actually a thing that signals a deteriorating economy. Now, there was also some good news in the housing market. Uh, home prices, uh, this is new home prices, rose 0.5% month on month in April. New home sales surged 20% year on year in May. 
But this sale of new homes is primarily a function of very tight inventory in the existing housing market. People are not really willing to sell their house and move right now, knowing that they're going to trade a 2 or 3% mortgage rate for a 7 or 8% mortgage rate, right? So there's definitely a huge slowdown in the housing market, particularly in existing homes. So if people are looking to buy, are looking to move, because some people have to move for work or whatever, then a lot of them are buying new homes. So we've seen this pop in new home sales. If you look at existing homes, uh, those sales were only up 0.2% and they were down 20.4% from a year ago. So when you look at the overall housing market, not just new home sales, eh, not quite as great. And of course, home sales typically rise in the spring. So these positive numbers, they, they might just be an anomaly for the month. Um, the reality is rising prices, which is another sign of sticky price inflation, right? That's a factor in the core inflation rate, which is still over 5%. Um, and, and you couple that with rising interest rates, that is going to continue to put a drag on the housing market, especially if Jerome Powell and the Fed follow through and continue to raise interest rates. So it's not so much that... Um, you know, th this is just being misread. It's just an outlier. Um, another data point that came out this week that caused some giddiness uh, was a big jump in durable goods orders. Orders for manufactured U.S. goods jumped 1.7% in May. Economists had expected a decline. And this was immediately sold as a sign of a strong economy. In fact, uh, that was kind of one of the things that triggered the first uh, kind of dip in gold prices this week. But even MarketWatch conceded, quote, the industrial side of the economy is just muddling along. Well, if it's just muddling along, that's not good news. And it raises the question, why did we see a 1.7% jump in orders? Well, in fact, the entire increase can be attributed to the extremely volatile transportation sector and defense spending, which is basically for the war in Ukraine. Excluding transportation, which reflected a big jump in orders for passenger jets, and that's something that rises and falls frequently. It's very volatile, so next month we may see a big drop in that sector. But if you exclude that, the last two months balance out to zero. If you exclude defense, durable goods orders fell. So far from signaling a strong economy, the actual economic signal is contraction with a few outliers driving a number higher. Now, there are a couple of other data points I should mention that actually came out earlier this month, but also fall into kind of the same category of looking good until you dig deeper. Retail sales increased by 0.3% month over month, and they were up 1.6% year over year. That sounds like the Americans are buying a lot of stuff, right? And that's good for the economy. But in reality, they're paying the inflation tax. Retail sales are reflecting 
the inflation tax. I've talked about this several times on this podcast. Retail sales are not adjusted for inflation. So when you see retail sales go up, it could reflect one of two things. It could mean people are buying more stuff, which is good, means more production, more stuff getting bought, or it could just mean that prices are rising, right? Retail sales could rise simply based on price inflation. And I think that's a good part of what we're seeing in strong retail sales. If you actually go back and look at the CPI, factor in rising prices, you realize that the sales of actual stuff were basically flat month on month. And year on year, the sales of goods and services on a quantity basis is actually down substantially when you adjust for 4% price inflation. You've got a 4% rise in prices over the last year. You've got a 1.6% increase in retail sales. That means that people are buying a lot less stuff. They're just paying more for it. And then even worse... A lot of this spending is being put on credit cards. I've talked about this in past shows. We're seeing this huge surge in credit card balances. So people are struggling with rising prices. They cut back on the purchase of stuff, which is not a sign of a strong economy. And they're borrowing to maintain these retail sales. None of this signals a strong economy. And finally, we have the labor market. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is constantly pointing at jobs to prove the economy is strong. In this last statement yesterday, he talked about how you know, unemployment is still low, the labor market is tight, everything is great because we have all of these jobs. But I did a segment on the show about this not too long ago, in the last couple of weeks. The government job numbers just don't make any sense. I'll link to a an article in the show notes page that kind of goes over this. They don't make sense. The numbers don't jibe with the things that we see all around us. Now, furthermore, insofar as there are new jobs, many of them are due to people taking second and third jobs in order to make ends meet. You know, I talked about this whenever I talked about jobs. I can't remember which show it was. Uh, It might have been last week. But I talked about the fact that if I go out and get a job delivering pizzas because, you know, I can't pay my mortgage, well, the labor statistics will show that as a new job, you know, and that'll be touted as, oh, we have a new job created. Mike Meharry is delivering pizzas. The economy is strong. No, it's not what's going on. So, you know. These aren't high-paying jobs that people actually want. They're crappy service sector jobs people are taking because they can't pay their bills. So, looking at all of this, the bottom line is, don't reflexively believe the headlines. Just because headline numbers look good doesn't mean the economy is just humming along. You always need to dig deeper. Passant Gaudant summed it up this way. I think this is a good way to kind of look at this. He said, the government and mainstream media always try to paint data as rosy as possible in order to support consumer confidence, falsely believing that keeping people spending will somehow improve the economy. In reality, all it does is trick people into further overextending themselves and making things much worse. The true economic growth is supported by high savings rates and investment with low consumer spending. What we have is an extremely sick economy made much worse by central planners and mainstream media. 
That sums it up perfectly. And, you know, I think muddling along, as MarketWatch put it, is the perfect description for the entire economy right now. It's muddling along. It is. It's not crashing. It's just kind of muddling along. Not bad. And there's enough data with enough spin, you can feel good about the economy. It's like, okay, everything's fine. But when you take a closer look, it's pretty clear things aren't fine. Heck, even the Fed knows things aren't fine. The central bank actually published a paper saying that rising interest rates, as Yahoo Business summed it up, quote, threatened to hammer business investment, employment, and economic activity. Here's a quote from the paper. The share of non-financial firms in financial distress has reached a level that is higher than during most previous tightening episodes since the 1970s. So, in other words, the situation is worse than it was before the Great Recession. The authors of this paper said about 37% of firms, these are just companies out there, non-financial, so we're not talking about banks, we're talking about just everyday normal businesses in the United States, 37% in trouble. In other words, more than a third of the companies out there could default in the coming months thanks to this tightening monetary policy that Powell is running around saying is going to continue. You know, there's a saying that things happen slowly and then all at once. Keep that phrase in mind. Things happen slowly and then all at once. Now, the mainstream take seems to be, well, rates are at 5% and everything is fine, so no problem. The Fed's raised rates. They've raised them fast and nothing's happened. Everything's good. People like Mike Meharry and Peter Schiff and, and those contrarians, they're running around saying we're going to have some kind of crisis because interest rates are so high and, and the economy's a bubble and it's going to pop because it can't run in a high interest rate environment. But here we are. Everything's great. Look at this data. Everything's awesome. Nothing to see here. But if you listen to this show regularly, you know I keep hammering the point that monetary policy does not instantly shift the economy. You don't get rate hikes today and then impact tomorrow. There's a huge lag. Remember, before the 2008 financial crisis, rates actually peaked in the summer of 2006. And the Fed was already cutting rates when the financial crisis happened. There was a huge lag. So, I mean, it could be a year. It could be 18 months before we see the actual crash. Now, I don't think it's going to make it that long because the situation is actually worse than 2008. We have bigger bubbles. We have more debt and leverage in the economy. So, it's less able to handle higher interest rates. I think that 2 or 3% interest rates would have ultimately uh, popped the bubbles and precipitated a crisis. And here we are at 5%. But it's not going to happen overnight. It may not happen next month. It may not happen in the fall. It may be the first of the year next year. We don't know when. But again, things are already happening. We've already seen this little hiccup that's actually the beginning of the financial crisis. It's still bubbling under the surface. We've got all of these problems in commercial real estate. Uh, we've got a lot of banks that are insolvent. We've got 37% of the corporations and 
businesses in this country that are in trouble. Things are happening slowly. At some point, it will happen all at once. So, take all of this rose-colored glasses optimism with a grain of salt. Okay, let's talk about uh, some gold market fundamentals. Again, uh, as I mentioned already, a couple of people have actually asked me about this in recent weeks, and I thought it would be a good topic for the show. Uh, you know, I talk a lot about the current news and economic data, but I do like to touch on kind of some of the fundamentals in the gold market from time to time. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the spot price of gold. What exactly is it? Where does it come from? So as defined by Investopedia, a spot price is simply the current price in the marketplace at which a given asset, such as a security, commodity, or currency, or gold, can be bought or sold for immediate delivery. So how is the spot price for gold, basically anything, but we're talking specifically about gold, how is the spot price determined? Well, in simplest terms, the market determines the spot price based on supply and demand and many other factors. The spot price is not set by any single individual or institution or cabal. It's determined through market activity in the interaction of various market particip participants, including banks, financial institutions, dealers, and individual investors. Now, the London Bullion Market Association, LBMA, does play a significant role in setting a benchmark for the spot of price gold. The LMBA holds a gold price auction twice a day. It's independently administered by the ICE Benchmark Administration, IBA. So we've got um, the LBMA which is kind of the big organization, and it has outsourced this auction to an independent organization called ICE Benchmark Association, or ICE Benchmark Association. The IBA provides the auction platform on which the LBMA gold price is calculated. The, uh, this auction involves 15 authorized participants. These include big banks. Uh, right now, there's a gold coin broker. Uh, there's some brokerage firms. Um, so it's a kind of a mix of gold dealers, financial institutions, and these participants rotate in and out. Um, so it's not a set list. It's not the same people now and forever. The way it works is these participants submit buy and sell orders for gold based on client interest in their own trading positions. And then the auction process goes on until... Uh, it reaches a balance between buy orders and sell orders, and then that is considered the benchmark price uh, for that particular auction. So while the LMBA gold price is a significant factor in the spot price of gold, it is not the only factor. Other exchanges and marketplaces, including the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the Shanghai Gold Exchange, over-the-counter markets, and other trading platforms will influence the price of gold through their trading activities. And of course, future contracts that are traded on the COMEX also will have an impact on that spot price. Now, interestingly, the spot price generally is the same, but it can differ by region, country, so it's not necessarily this one price all over the world that's set. Uh, it is a small range uh, where you might find a spot price at any given time. 
Now, given the number of participants in the gold market and its global scope, the spot price moves up and down continuously 24 hours a day. Now, more broadly speaking, uh, there's a lot of other factors that can impact the spot price of gold. I'm going to cover five of them. This is by no means an exhaustive list. First, global supply and demand. Demand dynamics include jewelry manufacturing, investing, central bank gold purchase, and industrial offtake. Uh, on the supply side, mine production, scrap metal sales, uh, central bank gold lending and selling will affect the available gold supply. So as with anything, the basic economics of supply and demand are going to play into the price over time. Uh, second factor, commodity exchanges. So these include the LMBA, the Tokyo Commodity Exchange, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the Shanghai Gold Exchange, New York Mercantile Exchange, many others. These exchanges all facilitate the trading of gold futures, contracts, options, and other derivatives. As they buy and sell, it's going to impact the global price of gold, that spot price. We also have over-the-counter markets, or OTC markets. Uh, these facilitate direct transactions between buyers and sellers outside of formal exchanges. Participants in these markets include banks, bullion dealers, institutional investors uh, who negotiate and agree upon prices based on factors like demand, supply, and other market conditions. And then, of course, we have economic factors. And this includes everything from economic data reports to central bank monetary policy uh, to currency exchange rates. Geopolitical events can also significantly influence the spot price of gold. Um, I, I think these economic factors kind of really shift the needle on an hourly basis. So, you know, you might get a, a, a retail sales report and you'll see the spot price of gold uh, go up or down based on that. Or, you know, things that <clears throat> Jerome Powell says, you will literally see him say something and you can watch the spot price of gold respond to what Jerome Powell is saying. And this is something that people really watch closely who are trying to play gold uh, you know, on a daily basis and play those ups and downs um, as opposed to kind of doing the long-term uh, investing. So those are the, the kind of, oh, one more, individual market participants. So banks, financial institutions, hedge funds, central banks, individual investors can all impact the spot price through buying and selling activities. Uh, so if you get a bank that uh, sells a bunch of gold, uh, it could tick the spot price. Now, I've got to cover this. I don't want to because I know I'm going to get emails and it's going to annoy me. But anytime I talk about, <clears throat> excuse me. Anytime I talk about gold pricing, I get emails and comments about how it's all rigged. And they'll point to some documented cases of manipulation, particularly in the silver market, to prove their point. Now, it's interesting to me that people who most vehemently make this assertion as a reason to never buy gold or silver, they're always assuming that this manipulation is to the downside, right? They're holding prices low. It's all manipulated. No sense in ever buying gold or silver. Now, there is no question that from time to time, players and institutions will try to manipulate the market. They've done it. There's evidence of it, again, specifically in the silver market. Uh, in, a, in a past show, I actually talked about silver market manipulation. This generally involves big institutions or 
people with access to big institutions making buys or sells to move the price in order to cash in on their own current position, whether it's short or long. And if you look at the cases of silver manipulation that we know about, we see the price being pushed both up and down. So it's not just that we're holding the price of gold down for some nefarious reason. Uh, it's, it could be that we're trying to bring the price up uh, in order to cover shorts or whatever. So that happens. No question about it. I'm not saying that caution isn't warranted. I'm not saying that skepticism isn't warranted. There's always room for skepticism when you're talking about any kind of institution. And again, I'm not saying the market price is as pure as the wind-driven snow, especially on a day-to-day basis. But I am saying, I don't think there's some secret brain trust somewhere that's holding the price of gold down. The market is just too big. In fact, if you look at most of these manipulation cases, they have been in the silver market, and it is significantly smaller. It's much easier to move the needle in the silver market than it is in the gold market. So, manipulation in the silver markets isn't proof of manipulation in the gold markets. The silver market, again, much smaller, easier to deal with. Now, there could be manipulation in the gold market, no doubt. There probably is. But, if so, I think it's only moving the price a small amount for a short period of time to the benefit of certain players. You know, in the first place, the market is global, right? For true widespread manipulation, you would need players acting in concert from all over the world, all at the same time. And these are people who don't necessarily play together, like, you know, Chinese and American banks or whatever. Now, again, if you're one of these people that kind of believes that there is this shadowy global thing going on, that's a whole different issue. We, I don't even want to get into that. But just in general, when you have a something of global scope, it's very difficult to manipulate something that big with so many people involved in it. And, you know, I also think that people fail to comprehend exactly how big the gold market is. You know, I think, I hate to say this, but I think a lot of Americans particularly are a little bit myopic. I don't think they realize that the world, uh, there's a lot of world outside of the borders of the United States, right? It's a huge market. In 2021, gold ranked as the world's seventh most traded product with a total trade of $434 billion. Now, given the size and scope of the market, I don't see how any single entity can possibly control the price completely. Again, not saying there's not manipulation from time to time, or at least attempts to it, but I just don't think that the whole system is rigged, as some people will say. I'm just skeptical of these manipulation claims. So, I've said my piece on that. I know some people out there are going to disagree with me, but until I see actual proof to the contrary, and by proof, I don't mean some conjecture about how, well, of course it's manipulated because the people in control want to. That's not an argument. Speculation. Until somebody can see me actual proof, I'm going to assume the gold market is as sound as any other market, the stock market or the bond market or any other major global financial market. If you can't trust the gold market, I don't think you can trust any market. And I guess maybe that's a fair argument. So there you go. 
At any rate, the spot price of gold is pretty low right now, given all of the economic bullishness that's out there and the constant Fed drum beat for more rate hikes. I think gold is going to continue to stay kind of suppressed until we actually see the thing that happens all at once happen. This might be a good time to buy. If this is something you're thinking about, talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist today. And if you're not quite convinced, check out our newly revised and updated Why Buy Gold Now report. It just came out yesterday. It lays out the case for gold in a very detailed way. A lot of economic analysis in there. It's a free PDF download. I'll put a link in the show notes page. You can just go to shiftgold.com and find it. It's a really good uh, resource for you. So if you're not convinced, check that out. And then you can call a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. All you got to do is dial 1-888-GOLD-160. Or if you don't want to talk on the phone, you can email info at shiftgold.com. And uh, if you don't want to do that, you can just go to shiftgold.com. You can chat right there online if you go to the Getting Started page. Uh, as I say every week, these guys are fantastic. They're going to listen to you. They're going to ask you some questions. They're going to help you determine if precious metals fits into your portfolio and investment strategy. So talk to them today. And with that, we have a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all the things I talked about today and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on iTunes. We're on the Google Podcast. We're on uh, the YouTube channel. All of the links are on the show notes page and uh, also links to our social media channels. You can email me, mmaharry, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y, at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. I will talk to you again next week. See ya. See ya.